Happy Easter! Here this morning, and I love listening to you sing. Fantastic. And uh, we are just thrilled. And those of you, by way of video now, over in our chapel, in our video cafe, we want to welcome here as well. We normally run venues, but today, by necessity, we're running venues. So it is great to have you all linked in. We're, uh, you know, the thing about Easter, it brings us together as families, and we have a chance to reconnect. Any of you going to get together to eat later on? Whose house? Raise your hand. I just need a place to go. That's all. No. Um, We like to get together and do our family thing, and we like to commemorate and celebrate Easter. One of the things I love doing is finding out how the kids celebrate Easter, because they have so much fun, don't they? There's just an innocence with Easter. So I just want you to watch a little clip. It's called A Very Special Easter. Have a look at the kids' version. What do you like about Easter? Celebrate with your family. Easter hunting for eggs. You get to open them and there's stuff in there. Money and grass. Lots of candy. What does the Easter bunny do? Hops. He hides the eggs. He's a person that's dressed up in a costume. Who is Jesus? Jesus is like a person God. He is God's son. What does Jesus look like? Long brown hair and a brown beard. And he's got like a robe on. He has this belt, like what karate people wear, I think. Who are the disciples? Twelve chosen followers of Jesus. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, and Valphius, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, Bartholomew. They're the good guys. What did Jesus teach? How to pray and that God's real. To always love one another when it's hard. Teaching them about Christmas and Valentine's Day. What kinds of miracles did Jesus do? He turned water into wine. He made five loaves and two fishes spread a long way. He helped people if they were sick. He walked on water. There was a storm and it was all windy and I said, Jesus, Jesus. And then he calmed it down so, so they won't be scared. What would be a really cool miracle for him to do? For me to be a superhero like Batman. Let me ride shark. Fix the government. What did they eat at the Last Supper? Bread and like some dipping sauce. Taking I get some french fries and there's the juice. Some vegetables with chocolate on it. Why did some people not like Jesus? That everybody was calling him king. They didn't believe that he was God's son. They thought he would only hang out with the people who had done no sin. But he helped the sinners because they're the ones who needed help. What did those people do to Jesus? There were swords trying to capture him, whipped him, and put a crown of thorns on his head, and made him carry the cross a long way. Put him on a cross and stabbed him. They hurted his heart. He died on Good Friday. And then somebody put him in a tube that had this big rock over it. What happened on Sunday morning? He grew from the ground. He rose from the dead. What did the disciples do when they saw Jesus? Very afraid. Thought he was a ghost. They saw the scars. They touched him. Jesus, Jesus is alive. Come on, love him. They are so happy. How do we follow Jesus? Confess our sins. 
We ask him into our heart by praying. And then he's like in our heart. <laughs> Why did Jesus do all of this? It was all for us because he loves us. He said, I don't want them to be scared and whenever they're hurt, I want to help them. We love you, Jesus. Yeah, go ahead. Now, I'm not sure I can support all the theology in what I just showed you, but there's a lot of good stuff there, wasn't there? And kids just have a way of telling the Easter story. Because we come to the Easter story, and everyone knows it. Every one of us knows the story. I mean, we've read it, we've heard it, we've heard sermons on it, we've seen it illustrated, we've gone to productions, we've seen people act it out, or we've listened to people repeat the story. So the familiarity of the story somehow causes us to lose almost the simplicity, the beauty, and the power of the story. Uh, Let me tell you how. We forget about the people who lived in real time on that first story. One of them was Mary. Her name was Mary Magdalene. And as a follower of Jesus, her life had been transformed by this man who knew how to look past sin, see the heart of a sinner, and introduce her to God. And in her journey, she was there. She observed Jesus in his life. She observed him in his death, the crucifixion. And she saw him buried. Now, the thing about his burial that was so remarkable for Mary is as a devout Jew at the end of the Passover period, they rushed the burial. I mean, they they took the body of Jesus, took it to the tomb, and in many respects, crassly just put the body in, threw the body in and rolled a stone in front, sealed it up, and guards were put in place. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that on that first day of the week, on what would become Resurrection Sunday, Mary and a few of the other ladies decided we didn't do Jesus right. We didn't pay proper respect. We didn't say goodbye. They were living in the horror and the chaos of what took place over those last couple days. They watched Jesus brutally whipped, crucified, and die. And even as a close friend and follower, grieving and at emotional loss, they couldn't say goodbye to the one that loved them and the one they loved. So she made a deal. Mary got together with some of the other ladies and said, why don't we go early, early in the morning on this first resurrection day? They didn't know resurrection was coming. But why don't we go early? And let's let's do what we should have done. Let's prepare his body, put the spices, do the proper wrap. And if nothing else, out of respect for this Jesus who for three years changed the landscape of Israel, if he did nothing else and if they think they won, at least he's left an impact on our world. So they agreed. We'll get up early in the morning and we're going to make our way down to the garden tomb. They did that. Mary got up that morning. She got some spices together. She got some strips of linen, some cloth, probably put them in a little satchel. Then she met with the other ladies, and according to the Scriptures, they made their way out towards the tomb. There was an ominous heaviness over the city. Not a person in the city did not know what transpired. Everybody knew. They released a convicted criminal, and they crucified an innocent man. Everybody knew. So Mary and the other ladies get up 
almost under, under the cover of early dawn because the disciples are still fearing for their lives and they're going to make their way down to the tomb and they're going to do what they should have done and that will be their goodbye. It'll be over. And I'm sure all of us have experienced the moment when we're walking through a park and you can hear your feet touching on the path. Silence, but the echo of the steps. And then as they get near the garden tomb, the chaos of Friday revisits the scene one more time. Because again, they didn't have the story. They were living in real time. When they get there on the scene, anticipating they're going to have to beg the guards, please unseal the tomb so we can go in and do what we need to do. We won't take long and we'll get out of your way. They get there and to their shock and utter disbelief, the stone hasn't simply been moved away. The stone has like been catapulted away from the tomb. There's no guards, no sealed tomb. When they run up to the entrance and they look inside, all they can see is strips of linen and cloth lying there. And the first thought that strikes their mind is, who would dare desecrate a burial grave? They're living in the past, not in the future. And they're wondering, who would steal the body of Jesus? What value? Why would you take a dead man's body? Why would you take a corpse? What are you going to gain by doing that? And imagine for her in that moment, Mary, the one who loved Jesus, who comes. And all she wanted to do is say goodbye. That's it. And she comes. And now she has to wrestle with what kind of bandit would have such utter disregard for the sanctity of life and death for those that mourn that they'd steal off his body. Mary's the one who races back, by the way. The other ladies stay. Mary races back to get the disciples. They're still hiding. They're still afraid for their own lives. They had been called out as followers of Jesus, and they saw what they did to Jesus. There's no way they're going to put themselves in harm way right now. And Mary races back, and she finds Peter and John. And John's the one that tells us that they got into a little bit of a foot race. And they race back to the tomb to see what's going on. They didn't have a copy of the Scriptures. They didn't have the Jerusalem Post to read the events of what took place that morning. They were going to see firsthand in real time. What was Mary talking about? She's stammering and talking about a disappearing body and no, no guards and no tomb sealed. So they get back, they look in, and according to Scripture, as soon as they look inside, one race is in, and there they find the burial cloth and they find the strips of linen. And they're as confused as the ladies are. And after spending a little bit of time there, according to the Scripture, they're going to make their way back to their homes. It's what happens next in Mary's life that becomes so powerful on this Easter day. If you have your Bibles, I just want to read from her story. You're welcome to follow along. I'll read it for you. I want you to listen to Mary and this version of her story as I pick it up right here. It's found in John chapter 20 and in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes... But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said... Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. 
And Jesus said to her, Mary, do you know there's something powerful when your name is on the lips and the tongue of somebody that you love and you trust? There's something powerful that's released when a friend and a trusted associate speaks your name. And Jesus did that right here. And He said to her, Mary. And Mary turned toward Him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. And Jesus said to Mary, Mary, don't hold on to Me, for I have yet to return to My Father. Go instead to My brothers and tell them, I am returning to My Father and to Your Father. I'm going to My God and to Your God. And Mary went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, she said. And she told them that He had said these things to her. Now we all love a happy ending. We love a good story. We like it when the victor wins. We love it when the villain loses. Everything comes together. It's all sealed up. It's nice and neat and clean. And Mary gets this privilege. She is the first eyewitness of the resurrection. She is the one who is willing to go pay her respects. And she becomes the one that Jesus said, And you now, you go tell the others that I have risen, for you've seen me. And there's this neat little interplay that's going to take place in these words, and I'm going to show you in just a moment, that Jesus gives to Mary the absolute certainty of the resurrection and what this is going to mean for her. She didn't fully understand it yet, and in the little message she's going to give to her disciples, the certainty of this resurrection, the moment when Jesus said, Mary, and she realized. In fact, you know what she said? She said, Rabboni. It's only used twice in the Scripture. The other time was when Bartimaeus, a blind man, called out to Jesus And Jesus said, what is it that you want? He said, I want to see. And Jesus healed his sight. And here we have this great little interplay in Scripture where Mary not really seen, and then suddenly she sees, Rabboni, teacher, I understand. Now, I wish I could say the same about the rest of the disciples. Peter and John have gone back to the house thoroughly confused. No doubt now their grief has been heightened beyond all realm of understanding. Because they wrestled through the whole Thursday, Friday experience into the Sabbath, into the Passover. And now they too had seen the decimation of the grave and they have no answer. They have no idea what's taken place. They hadn't heard what Mary's about to tell them, so they're now back at the house. But the thing about God's kingdom is Jesus didn't leave them wondering about what the kingdom was going to look like. Jesus had been preparing them, even in the middle of the crucifixion, Even in the middle of all of the events that took place on this weekend, Jesus had been subtly preparing His followers for what was about to take place. He knew that what was going to happen in those next few hours was going to unleash an incredible assault that was going to undermine their faith, throw them into mass confusion, and in fact, for many of them, would shipwreck whether or not they'd follow God in the future. So Jesus understood, facing that certainty, He needed to give them some promises that they could hold on to. So let me just go back for a quick moment and take you into that sort of that Last Supper garden scene for a moment. When Jesus was with His disciples, He had prepared them. He said, go and go to the room that's prepared for us and we're going to meet there for the supper. It's during the course of the meal that night that Jesus is going to drop it's like a hint. It's a little inside promise so that they would know that everything is going to be okay. When they're there at that meal... Jesus speaks words to them, but for some reason, they completely missed it. It's found in Matthew 26, 29. Let me read it for you. Jesus said while they were having the meal, I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you 
in my Father's kingdom. It was as clear as me speaking to you this morning. He said, I'm telling you, I will drink this juice again in my Father's kingdom. And I'm looking forward. How did they miss the promise? How did these 12 followers of Jesus that have been with him now for well over two years, hanging on every word that he has spoken, questioning what he meant by some of the statements, how was it that on this night of the Last Supper when Jesus is speaking to them and he goes, hey guys, by the way, I'm going to drink the fruit of the vine again and I'm going to drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. How did they miss that? See, what we don't, we don't always pick up is the emotion that goes along with information. For just prior to that statement, just prior to this promise, Jesus had looked around the room that night and he said this, one of you is going to betray me. And in that instant, he took away the ten, all their attention. And like any of us would have done in that moment, we'd start looking around the room. We'd be looking at individuals and go, well, you look like a traitor. No, you look like the traitor. Somebody probably looked at Peter and goes, you're the traitor. They were trying to figure out who the traitor was going to be. And while they're doing that, preoccupied and distracted, Jesus said, by the way, I will not drink this cup again anew with you until I'm in my kingdom. Have you ever noticed that when we get bad news, we often dwell on the bad news more than the good news? That if I said to you, I have bad news and I have good news, we look at the good news, but we want to know the bad news and it holds on to us in an incredible way. We've all experienced it, by the way. You remember getting your report cards? And you get your A, your A, your A, and your D? Which one did not, you did not want to show your parents? The D. It's because when you show them, that's the only thing you remember. And it's like you're worried they're going to look at this and they're going to overlook all of my A's and all they're going to look at is the bad news of what took place. That's exactly what was taking place in this moment. They were so preoccupied that they didn't hear Jesus. In fact, that often happens to us. We don't hear people when we become so preoccupied and engaged in certain activities. If you don't believe me, we could ask all the married women in the room when the husbands are watching sports shows. Do those men hear you when you speak to them? Not often, because we get so engrossed and so engaged. And it might just be possible that on this night as well, Jesus warns them, one of you is going to betray me. And they missed the promise. You know the second promise Jesus gave them? It was after the meal. They were on their way towards the garden. And under that canopy of darkness, John said it was just eerily dark. And under that canopy of darkness as they're walking along, Jesus is going to drop this second clue. And here outside, just prior to his arrest, he says these words, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, surely you would think that one of his disciples would have stopped and go, Whoa, time out. What did you just say? See, they're ramped up. They've been praying for two years. They had been praying the prayer that Jesus had taught them. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They have been anticipating and praying and longing for the kingdom. So they're hanging out with Jesus. A week ago, people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel's king is here. So they're on this rampage of expectation. And now Jesus is dropping news like one of us is a traitor. And now he's talking about, I'm not going to drink it anew until I'm in my Father's kingdom. Outside something else takes place. And he says this to them. All of you are going to abandon me. All of you 
Not one, not two, not three, but every last one of you. I have spent my life with you. I've called you my friends. We've shared meals together. We've worked miracles together. And in that moment of emotion, when Jesus said, all of you are going to fall away, they were so preoccupied with that statement that nobody heard Jesus really pick up that I will rise again. And when I rise again, I will go ahead of you. That's why it makes so much sense on this Sunday morning when there's Mary standing at the tomb completely blown away by the circumstances, running back to get John and Peter. John and Peter hadn't put it together yet. And they come and they check out this tomb. The guys had missed it. And so Jesus, standing before Mary in the garden, says to her, Mary, you are the one. I want you to go and tell my disciples that I have risen. Now I've got a question. Why did, why did Jesus choose Mary? Why did Jesus choose a woman? You ever wonder about that? And I have an answer. I think it's because over the last couple of days, He's already told the guys two promises and none of them heard that. So if He tells them that I've been raised from the dead, they probably wouldn't hear that either. So He had to trust it to the women. So women, there you go. There's an Easter gift for you today. From me to you. So enjoy the rest of the day. Men, I'm sorry. Don't. I'm a messenger. That's all I am. So here you got Mary in front of Jesus and Jesus talks to her. Now what Jesus says to her is crucial to understand. Because it's easy to assume that on this Easter resurrection day that we celebrate together, that they fully understood now all the pieces. You know, like the puzzle came together and they go, we get it. She didn't fully understand yet. And so Jesus says something to her and there's a little event that transpires. When Jesus said Mary, the writer of the gospel, John, used words that have some language behind it. It's like Mary lurched at Jesus and grabs on to Jesus around his legs or around his waist and just gives him this incredible bear hug like, I am not going to let you go. And it's unpacking that one verse that I want to just take a couple of minutes. We'll do that. We won't keep you long. But I want to look at that one verse because what Jesus does is there in that moment He declares the certainty of the resurrection. And the certainty of the resurrection impacts their understanding of the kingdom. Uh, Some of you, you want to take notes. It's there in the bulletin. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus talks to her about the kingdom come on earth. Kingdom come on earth. That when He's speaking to Mary, He is preparing her and letting her know that what you see now visibly in front of you is God's kingdom come on earth. That the resurrection power that has brought life back to my body, this was not some accidental moment, but this was preordained and planned by God that He would shatter the chains of sin, He would break the bondage that holds man back from relationship with God, and His kingdom would come on earth. I'm going to show you John chapter 20, verse 17 up on the screen. Here's what Jesus said. Mary, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my Father. I underlined it for you just for emphasis this morning. And he was saying something specific to the context that we need to pick up on because the way that Mary had grasped Jesus, it was as if she was saying, I've lost you once and I'm not going to lose you a second time. I am going to hold on to you so that you will never, ever get out of my sight. She had experienced the panic and the pain of loss once. Mary's not prepared to feel it twice. And Jesus, knowing 
that there's more playing here. He goes, Mary, be careful. Don't hold on to me. I have not yet returned to my father. Um, those of you that have ever, you're, you're married and you have kids, you ever lose one of your kids just momentarily? I didn't say, did you pray about losing one or two of them? I just said, have you ever lost one? When Laura and I were first married and our son was just, he's just a toddler, just a small guy. We had gone over to one of the malls to do some shopping. And you know the clothing racks, some of them are the circular display rack. And you can walk around the outside and look at the different outfits or shirts or whatever you're looking at. Kyle was just this high. And he used to love to just go in between the clothes like he was swimming through the sea. And then he'd get in the middle because there's this oasis for those adults who have never been in there. There's an oasis in the middle of the clothing rack. And he'd get in there, and he'd be playing, and, mining, and then he'd, like, swim out the other side. And we thought, well, that was a lot of fun. That was great. And Laura and I would be busy. Well, one moment he decided to swim in the middle and sit down, like this was his new home. So he parked himself, and we were shopping. And, it, I mean, it was just momentary. And I look back, and he's gone. And it's like, you know that feeling when your heart stops? It's like, oh! And I said, Laura, where's Kyle? She goes, I don't know. Where's Kyle? So we're going, Kyle! And now, like, we're, we're yelling, Kyle, nothing, not an answer. He's in the middle of one of these racks, like, da, 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 da. He's just lost in his own little world. See, something about men and hearing just doesn't go together. We just don't work well with these things. So he's just playing. And after just moments of calling and calling and searching through this, then finally it's like, hi. And we're going like, I could kill you and then bring you back and love you and never let you go again for doing that to us. That's exactly how Mary felt. Jesus was dead in the tomb. She saw his body laid out, and now she's holding on to this man going, you're never leaving me ever again. I'm not letting you go. But Jesus wanted her to know something. Mary, I'm not of this earth. I came from my Father's kingdom to this earth to bring my Father's kingdom. And I'm going back so I can be seated at the right hand of God. My kingdom has come on earth. And if you don't let me go back to my Father, you will never experience the fullness of the kingdom. It was critical to understand. Jesus wasn't building His own kingdom. He wasn't trying to just build a big crowd of people. He already had that. If He wanted it, He could have stopped in the middle of the public square at the temple and said, Hey, you hailed me, King of the Jews. I'm in, guys. Let's do it. Let's take Rome. He didn't want that. If He really wanted to do that, you can go back into the early part of Matthew. You remember when Satan came to tempt him? And he came to Jesus and said, Hey, if you'll just bow down for me. And he took him up to a high spot and he said, Look at the kingdoms of the world. I don't know how he did it. But I think somehow in a panoramic display, he showed them the empires of the world. And he said, All of this, all of this is yours. Your kingdom. If you'll just worship me. And Jesus, of course, answers him back. And it is written, Worship the Lord your God alone. If Jesus had come to build His own kingdom, He didn't need help from Mary. But you see, He had come in complete obedience to His Father because His coming, His life, His death, and His resurrection were part of a bigger plan. And it's as if He was saying to Mary, My kingdom come on earth. Mary, let me go. Because if I go, I will prepare a place for you. If I go, I will ask my dad, and my dad will send a spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. If I go, you will be my witness and you'll receive power from on high. And if I go, you will do works even greater than the works that I have done. Mary, let me go because my kingdom has now come on earth. Not in completion, but in its beginning. And Mary 
is the eyewitness to the resurrection. And the certainty of the resurrection that she was discovering is, I get it. God's kingdom come on earth. It's not just about Jesus building His own private kingdom. Everything He whispered was in obedience to my Father. My Father loves you so much, I'm building His kingdom. God's kingdom come on earth. There's a second thing that she learned, another certainty. It wasn't just kingdom come on earth, but it was kingdom come in us. That it was much broader than the fulfillment of the work of Jesus and simply that resurrection moment. Jesus was speaking to Mary, letting her know that what is taking place here is something that God had purposed for you, for your followers, for the followers of me, for my brothers and for my sisters. Let's go to chapter 20, again, verse 17. Jesus said to Mary, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning, watch this, I am returning to my Father and who? Your Father, to my God and to your God. In a moment, Jesus helps Mary to understand that this kingdom is much bigger than she's ever imagined, that the certainty of resurrection has restored something that sin had destroyed. You go back into the beginning of the book of Genesis, what you realize is that when God created man, He created us to have community with Him. God has always desired And He's always designed that man would walk in relationship with Him. That's why in the very beginning book, Genesis, God created man and woman, brought them together in a loving relationship. And what did God do? God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. He hung out and spent time with them. See, that was God's purpose, to spend time with us. God's kingdom in us. Then He walked with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to lead you to a promised land. I'm going to show you a place. And your descendants will become as numerous as the sand on the shore or as the stars in the sky. Why did he do that? Not for Abraham's sake, but for God's sake. God has always desired that his kingdom would be in us. Then he walked with Israel. He rescued them out of Egypt. He said, I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, and I have come down to rescue. Why why did he rescue Israel out of Egypt? Not just to free him out of bondage and slavery. He gets him out into the wilderness and then he gets him to Mount Sinai. And in Mount Sinai, God says this, And I will be your God and you will be my people. And we will dwell together. God has all along desired that His kingdom would be in us. Then you see it move right into the New Testament and John says this, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling, or He lived among us. Resurrection certainty is that the kingdom has come to be in us so that we could say, as Jesus has said, my God and my Father. That we wouldn't be on the outside listening to Him teach about something. If you go back and you follow this very carefully, what you discover is that Jesus constantly referred to His Father. And those that listened to Him wanted to understand, what is that relationship like? How do I have that relationship? And there before Mary... It's right there. I am returning. Mary, let me go. I'm going to go back to my Father and to your Father. I'm going to go back to my God and to your God. And one day Peter would ultimately get this, and he would write to the followers of Jesus. He'd write to the church. 1 Peter 2.9, he said, But now you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. That's how much God loves us. 
that it wasn't just about His Son establishing a kingdom on this earth. It's that His kingdom might come in us and that all who would be His followers would be His family together. That's why we worship the way we worship. That's why we gather together and do what we do. And Mary was beginning to understand when Jesus said, My Father, Your Father, My God, and Your God. One last certainty that comes out of the resurrection, and it's this. When Jesus spoke to Mary, it was to ensure that she understood that it was the kingdom come, and now, in Me. Not just in a collective gathering of people, Not in a synagogue, not in a temple, not in a church. Not just under a banner, not under a title, not under a denomination. But Jesus was telling Mary, My kingdom has come. My Father's purpose has been fulfilled that His kingdom might come in you and it might come in me. See, if we miss what Easter is really all about, it's not about the observance of rituals and religions. It's not about putting another day on the calendar and saying, you know, check the box, I was there for service. Jesus wanted Mary to understand the reason I've been raised from the dead, the reason that God's power has been exerted in my life is so that His kingdom will come in you, in your heart. It's something way back at the Beatitudes that Jesus had described to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed all the way through. His kingdom is coming in you. So the best way for us to frame it today If we forget anything else and we put everything else behind, don't forget this. That Easter, the resurrection, is the certainty that God's kingdom isn't just out there, but that God's kingdom can be in here, in me. That's the power of what the cross and the resurrection does for us. And I think Mary finally got it. John writes to the church and he said, this is how God shows His love among us. That He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as a sacrifice for our sin. The one thing that keeps us from relationship with God, sin. And Mary was beginning to understand that when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, that crucifixion was necessary. It's what John said. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was necessary. That's the demand of love that we might have relationship with the Father. It's also John who said that for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him, they wouldn't perish. They'd have eternal life. Mary didn't need to hold on so tightly anymore. She was never going to lose Jesus. The kingdom had come. And this kingdom would prevail. So much so that what Jesus said, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. It's going to stand strong. The Bible says that to all who will receive Him, to those who will believe on His name, He gives the right to become children of God. Children of God. That means the Father fulfilled His purpose in Christ. He said, My kingdom come. My Son has done everything I asked Him to do. And now it's up to you. Kingdom in me? If it is, then you're my son and you're my daughter. And I'm your Father. Then the relationship takes on another change. Now you can say, Abba, Dad, Father, and I'll hear you. 
I can't imagine what it was like for Mary to have Jesus stand in front of her and in a moment of full recognition and transparency understand you're alive. But more than that, because you're alive, there's certainty that I can live too by trusting in you. Let's pray together. So Father, this morning, just in an honest moment of transparency before you, nobody else has a chance to even understand what we think, but you and your Spirit alone. Would you help us to realize that Easter is the greatest gift of love that we can ever possibly know? That our Heavenly Father would send His Son to die on a cross so that we, each of us individually, could have the forgiveness of sins and brand new life. So I just pray that not a person listening to my voice would miss an opportunity to say, God, I want your kingdom to come in me. I don't want to just hear about it in other people. I don't want to just see about it in other churches. I want that kingdom, that power, and that life to come in me. As your eyes are closed, just for a moment of reflection and private prayer, I just ask no one looking around. You might be here this morning and you say, you know, Doug, I've been an honest skeptic. Maybe I'm a sincere seeker or I have a lot of doubts. But I'm beginning to realize that there's more to the story than what I've heard in the past. And maybe today for the first time, all the pieces are coming together and you finally are beginning to understand. It's like the light is coming fuller and fuller and fuller in your life. And Jesus is revealing to you why He came, why He died, and why it's important. Because He left one command. If you believe in my name, believe that I'm the Son of God, then I can forgive your sins and you can have a relationship with my Father. And if you're in this room, you're in our overflow room, you're in our gym this morning, and that's your prayer, that's your desire, all I'm going to ask you to do is quickly raise a hand, just acknowledging that today you're beginning to realize what this is. So real fast, in this room, yes, thank you, thank you, yes, thank you. Yeah, you can take it back down. Thank you. Anyone else? This morning by raising a hand, you're just going, I'm beginning to understand that Jesus really is Lord of my life. He is the Savior, the forgiver of my sins. And I want a relationship with Him. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. You're just saying yes to Jesus. So Lord, His hands go up all over this room. Father, Your Word says that if we would acknowledge you, that you would put your spirit in our heart and you would give us that confirmation that we are your children. And for these men and women and young people that have just today said, I think I'm beginning to understand and I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I thank you for their courageous decision and I pray, God, that as they follow you and as we help them grow in relationship with you and as Holy Spirit, you teach them that the joy, the truth, and the power, and the life of the kingdom would just explode in their heart. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.